This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. I do want to shift gears a little bit, if you guys don't mind, to to the to the defense because it was a, it was abysmal on on um, Thursday night against uh, against the Penguins. But again, the team as a team, the Bruins are they're, they're a top five defensive team in the NHL goals against wise. Um, but visually, there's something off with with Lindholm. I, uh, Grizzlick's been struggling all year. McAvoy's not been near um, the Norris caliber defenseman that he he should be on a night to night basis. Grizzlick is going to get up muscled all the time on the penalty kill. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I don't want to. He shouldn't be on the PK. But last night against the Penguins, got up muscled twice. Opposition, not a good showing for him. Not a great year for him. Lindholm, not good. How do you guys feel about this defense? Um, not so much right now on January 5th, but forward looking, like what needs to change with these guys? Is it personnel? Is it a mindset? Is it nothing? Well, I mean, one thing you realize like how important this is going to sound obvious, but like how important the team game is to how good or bad their defensemen look. Because during that winning streak, they're playing much better team hockey. They have more possession. And lo and behold, you see the defenseman getting more involved. Lindholm has a few points during that stretch. McAvoy has a three-assist game. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, where has this been? And it's like, well, you haven't had the offensive zone possession to get these guys involved. So I think it, it feels like a defense core that you don't have the sort of dynamic offensive guys who – can really like truly create from the back like a Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr or Eric Carlson. Like you don't have any of those, but you do have guys who, if you're going to possess the puck and set up in the offensive zone, will get involved and can make some good plays. But then like when you're not doing that and when you're spending more time defending all of a sudden that that's when you get these stretches of like, Hey, Lindholm's gone a week without a point or, McAvoy has two points in the last five games. Like then all of a sudden they're not getting as involved because they're just not, they're not going to single-handedly drive it. So it's got to be like all five guys together. So I don't, I guess this is a long way of me saying like a game like Thursday, I don't put it all in the defenseman because I think the forwards shoulder plenty of blame with, you know, I mentioned like Heinen having a sloppy pass that led to a turnover. I think, Trent Frederick got caught high in the zone at one point, which led to a three on two down low. Like, you know, it's, it's a team thing. And unfortunately for the defenseman, you end up noticing their mistakes last before the puck goes in the net. So um, I do agree. Like Grizz, like I've been on that all year. I don't think he looks like the same player. 
Uh, obviously, you you want more from from McAvoy and Lindholm. I think McAvoy's had good stretches, but is not playing at like the Norris caliber level that you're used to seeing. Um, but yeah, it's you notice it's so much more when the the team just breaks down. And as far as like what needs to change, we said all along like they they need to play tougher, and like that doesn't have to be knocking guys over with 10 hits a game, but being harder to beat at the net front, winning more battles, moving guys out, tying up sticks. Like again, you know, the Penguins scoring multiple goals on deflections, rebounds, just traffic in general, a couple end up going in off Bruins, but that's because there's traffic there in the first place. So um, yeah, like finding a way to clear those, those guys out and, Given your your goalie, you know a, a clear line of sight. Do do you guys think they're missing? And and Bridge, I'll throw it to you first. But do do you guys think that they're missing a, um, Wait. like, yeah. I I was actually about to say what they were missing before you even throw it. See, so this entire Dean twins out here. We're like the Sadine twins. Mm-hmm. Chemistry. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. Um. I was thinking this entire conversation, you want to know what they're missing? They're missing a Dmitry Orlov. Like that. Can you imagine what the defense would look like this year if they had found a way to keep Dmitry Orlov? See, I was gonna I was gonna go the exact opposite. This is really yeah, this is a good conversation to have. It really is. See, I I think they I think they have like okay, so Orlov might drive offense a little bit more than maybe some of their maybe McAvoy for maybe maybe. Um, well, he more than Grizzlick. Sure, but see, but to Scott's point, like they, they have guys that can transition the puck. Um, where I think that they need to improve a little bit on the back end is, you know, we talked last. I think it was last year, the year before, but um, that guy uh, Gavrikov, that he was with the Blue Jackets, and he ended up going to um the Kings. Kings. Um, like. I feel, and this is what Derek Forbert's supposed to be, but I'm talking somebody who plays Derek Forbert's role, but but better. Um, like, okay, um, similar to like when when you had Adam McQuaid, like just somebody, maybe somebody for a third pair that just like he's not gonna get up muscled and he's gonna he's gonna lift those sticks, like he's gonna be tough in front of his net. Um, like think about Come like on, Dimitri Orlov though. Like he, he was I, great offensively. He was tough. You did not want to mess with that guy. I, uh, he was good on the penalty kill. Like, I don't like if they could have found a way to keep him. I, I mean, they he, lost, he was, he was lost, rough defensively in the playoffs. They lost in the first yeah. round last year and he was a part of that. I, I, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to name a few names and it's not that these guys are available or anything. I'm just saying these type of players and they're just, like, what they need somebody like a like like a like like Joel Edmondson was for like the Blues or somebody it's just some or like or the P, uh, Pedersen guy last night for Pittsburgh, um or like a like as a door offer Eric Branson just somebody who's a big body that's a prick to play against and you can get him for cheap at the deadline those guys aren't those options because of their contracts but I just feel like they're missing something like that because they do have the high end talent on the back end I think. Yeah, the the problem is like finding that you mentioned like you know, Forbert's role but better and ideally like a little meaner than Forbert. The problem is, is like there's there really aren't as many of those guys as you would think. Like I know everyone has this idea of like 
oh yeah go find a mean defenseman and then like people name like luke shen or something it's like well if luke shen's playing more than like 13 14 minutes a game you're in trouble so it, finding Zadorov's a good one like that's someone who's available who I, I think some people were overrating as like a true top four defenseman but at the very least you'd be very comfortable with him on your third pair um you know, obviously he, he already got moved and the Bruins just simply weren't yet in a cap situation where that was possible. Like for them, it's going to have to be something closer to the deadline, I think. But yeah, like you always want to have an eye out for those guys, but there's not a lot of them. And then when they do hit the market, the bidding goes crazy because everyone's kind of looking for that same thing. Like I'm sure, you know, if you look at the, 24 or so teams that are still in playoff contention probably 22 of them feel like they could use that exact player like you know a lot of teams aren't happy with their defense cores a lot of teams are shallow or playing guys higher in the lineup than they should be I mean you mentioned Pedersen like I've seen people in Pittsburgh writing about how he's playing way too high in the lineup they have him on their top pairing and they're like he should be a third pairing guy like that's that's the thing is like, you know, say someone like that becomes available and you stretch and you, you pay, you know, an exorbitant amount for him. It's like, okay, well, what if he comes in and he's only a third parent guy and he's a marginal upgrade over Derek Forbert and you just gave up, you know, a second round pick for him. Like that's, it's tough. It's tough to try to find like that exact right player who does what we're talking about. Yeah. I just think they got to negate any of these freebie goals in the net mount. Like if you're, if you're in opposition, I just think sometimes the Bruins, like, it's just, it's too easy for, for the forwards. Like you, there's gotta be something a little bit more. And, and sometimes it's lack of coverage. Other times it's out muscled and um, you just can't have it in the playoffs. So Yeah. And, and some that has to be internal. Like now, you know, Mason Laura had a tough game Thursday and even wound up getting sat down for a part of it. I think he only played like eight and a half minutes. Mason Laura had been playing well before then. We had talked, I think, on our last episode about him, you know, pushing to stay in the top four. And I still think that's in play. Like, one bad game doesn't ruin that. But Mason Laura does have to get tougher. Like, does have to win more of these battles. And it's like, okay, so am I am I necessarily looking for an upgrade over Mason Laura? Or am I trying to work with Mason Laura to get him to that point where he is using his size more and um, and winning more of those battles and getting more physical. And it's like, that doesn't happen overnight. And that's going to be tough to judge because like, can you get there by the playoffs, get Mason Lori to where he needs to be? Or is Mason Lori probably not going to get there until next season? Like that's, that's going to be a tough to call that the Bruins are going to have to try to figure out here over the next, you know, month or two. Yeah. Grizzlick's the interesting one. I don't, he he's the one that I just I'm curious to see what happens with him because um, you know he has value. He's obviously an NHL caliber defenseman. You have the emergence of Lori. Um, he's Grizzlick's also been playing decent with Shat and Kirk. But what do you do with Forbert comes back? Like um, that's going to be an in- interesting one to follow. I, obviously, we've mentioned on this podcast you can never have too much depth on defense for sure, especially NHL caliber defensemen. Um, so maybe nothing happens and they just have you know, those guys on the depth chart. Yeah. My, my ideal, 
taking a trade out of it because obviously that's always a possibility but keeping things internally like to me the ideal way that this plays out is Lori keeps getting better does run with a top four spot and claim claim that as his and then you're left with then your top four however you want to line up is set McAvoy Lindholm Carlo Lori and then you wrote and then you have a third pairing rotation however you want to play it out of Grizzly Shattenkirk Forbert and you know if you're facing a heavier team Forbert's in Grizzlick's out if you're playing a game where you think you need more transition Grizzlick's in maybe Forbert sits maybe you try Grizzlick on the right side like then you can figure out your third pairing and move pieces around there. Maybe Parker Wotherspoon even stays in the conversation somewhere. But getting that top four set is is the most important thing. And I guess, you know, to echo like what I just said, like what the Bruins have to decide is whether they have that internally and specifically meaning Mason Lorai sticking in that kind of role or if it's not quite his time yet and they have to find an upgrade. Would you be surprised if they sent him back down again? Like, do you guys think he's kind of sticking around the rest of the season at this point? Or are you thinking it's we're kind of just waiting for Forbert to come back and then he's back down? No, I think he's sticking around for now. Um, well, yeah, for now. now but- yeah, so it, I guess, like, I would say that that's up to Mason Lorai. If he, if he plays like he had been and – I'm going to say like the last couple of weeks and keeps building on that. He's going to stick around. He's not going to be the one to, you know, Parker Weatherspoon will get sent down, not him. But if he has more games like Thursday night where, you know, he was, he was a minus three and had a turnover leading up to one goal combined with Grizzly to lose Jeff Carter in front of the net on another. And, you know, just, just an all around rough game. Like if there's more of those, then it becomes a conversation. Um, but right now, like I, I think there's been more good than bad over the, yeah, a lot I mean, more good than bad over the last month. Yeah, but if if Grizzly keeps matching him, poor performance for poor performance, and then it's like, I mean, unless until Grizzly turns back into, you know, the Matt Grizzly of like you know 2018 to 2022, whatever, it's like he needs to also elevate his game to force the Bruins to send Lorai down, and and he has to elevate it for a period of time. That's the other part too. It's that, so it's the combination of Grizzly is Grizzly is playing not to his standards, and Lorai is to the most for the most part getting better each game, setback, getting better and better setback. So as long as that's the combination, I don't see how they send him down in the sh- uh, at all. If Lorai struggles for a while and Grizzly steps up, maybe. But even then, it's like I, I don't know if there's a benefit to that either. Keep them all around. Do you want to get to a few quick things before we sign off here? So um, I'll just keep this real quick. It wasn't Swayman's best game. Um, he gave up a lot of rebounds that also, you know, sometimes the great goaltending the Bruins have been getting helps cover up for some of those defensive mistakes, um, you know, failed clears, whatever it may be. Um, and maybe we're not talking about the defense for this long. If Swayman holds on to a few of those and um, just, just ends plays, but, uh, you know, he's had such a great season. He had a down game on Thursday. Coach said he was considering taking him out, but he wanted to let him fight through it. So that's why, even though he gave up five goals, he stayed in the net. 
And obviously we know what happened after that. He didn't give up any after the fifth goal. Bruins came back. Well, I shouldn't say that. He, he allowed the Bruins to get back in the game, tie it 5-5, and then gave up that power play goal to Crosby um, to make it 6-5. And that's what the final score was. So he didn't have his best game, but it seemed uncharacteristic. We didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game either, which usually we do. Um, we get to talk to the goalie, the starting goalie after the game. Uh, but anyway, I, I just, maybe that's an anomaly because we think that he's, he's had a great season. And then also to the all-star game stuff, if you guys want to touch on that a little bit, Pasternak, um, who's been having another great season, uh, is into the all-star game. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I last night aside, I think Swayman's going to end up as an all-star too. Um, so there's Danny Shell announced the one representative from each team, so the first 32, and there's 12 more spots league-wide that go to a fan vote. And I, I think four goalies have to be selected from that group. So I would be surprised if Swayman's not one of them, honestly, unless he like really falls apart over the next couple of weeks. But um, that that would be a nice nice little nod for him. Um, first All Star, yeah, passing a fourth All Star appearance, no surprise. I if we had more time here, I would go on my rant about how stupid it is that every team needs to get an All Star because not every team has an All Star on their roster. But um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll save that one. Yeah, I mean. I, I saw, I think Ty Anderson tweeted out uh, 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 an image of a hat being sold at the, the pro shop at the Garden. Maybe it was like a 1996 All-Star game. Um, if you ever want to like see just how far the NHL All-Star games have regressed, go on YouTube and, and watch the 1996 skills competition and All-Star game and look at the names on each blue line representing. It may have been if it wasn't the Eastern conference versus the Western conference, it was North America versus the world at the time, but I think it was East versus West. Um, the names that each team boasts is it's cross generational and it's insane. Like you have like, like you have Gretzky playing with like Korea and Sackick and Iser. it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Um, and, and the game was a phenomenal game too, but nowadays it's like to, to Scott's point, it's like, all right, so who's 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 Columbus's all star? The water boy? Okay. And then um like it's just not it's just not great. It's not great. But yeah, kudos to Pasta, obviously. We'll uh, we'll, I mean, we'll get to that rant closer to the all-star game. And also we've had this rant previous all star games. Yeah, absolutely. I will say I'm at least glad that they're bringing back the player draft. They they announced that Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews will be the two captains awesome. picking their teams. So at least like that, like it's at least something a, a little extra interesting, yeah. different. And I'm sure Toronto will make make it a good a good time because it's uh, you know, such a mecca of hockey. They'll 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 optimize the weekend. I feel like with media and stuff. Yeah, and then, then the last thing that we didn't get a chance to touch on was first Boston PWHL game was 
Tuesday. No, what day was it? Wednesday. I don't know. It was Wednesday. Wednesday. I broadcast the game. My brain was so just focused on that that I like. I don't even know what day it is now. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still tired. Um, But but it was a great game, and I think that people are gonna um, like. Interest was really high on game one, and I feel like the momentum is there for it to continue to Mm. be high. Uh, turnout was better than expected. Ratings were better than expected. Um, and the product was just great. Like I will say like, as the analyst in that game, I realized I need to get to the point quicker than I do in college hockey, men's or women's, uh, because plays just happen faster. Like this is a, this is pro level speed. Um, it's faster than I think both men's and women's college hockey. Uh, and next thing you know, you know, I'm talking about something next thing, you know, there's a centering pass the pucks on net. And it's like, it, it, it everything happened quick. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game, Brian. I think you did. Mm-hmm. I think I know yeah. Scott was there. Some of those yeah. goals, all three Minnesota goals went far down at like the fastest pace you could possibly shoot the puck. And I was just like, I didn't even see the high C one go in. Like it, it happened so fast. It was just like, Oh, it's in the net. All right. Um, so I think it's been, I would say they probably it's probably further along than they were expecting, considering they only had 125 days from the founding of the league to the first game of the league to get everything underway and to and to kind of like market it. And it's it's been a success so far. Yeah. And, and you know, as so. OK, so there's a lot of there's a lot of elements to this. First of all, you, you did a phenomenal job on the game um, and looking forward to the first uh, play-by-play game that you do as well. Uh, you were on color for the first game, so maybe yeah. to your point, you maybe maybe you can watch back the first game and and do the play-by-play just to get used to the speed because I'm sure it is a little <laughs> quicker than than what you're used to. Um, it, it was, it was quick. But I've also, um, you know, growing up, I went to a lot of. I, I live just on like you know ten minutes on the highway from Songus, um, and went to a lot of like Lock Monster games, and uh, you know, I, I think. Between Manchester with the Verizon Center, which used to have the Monarchs, um, I think that building is no longer even useful to any hockey team. Um, may, maybe, maybe Snoo, but I don't. I think they may play in hooks it. Anyway, uh, you had the Verizon Center in Manchester with the Monarchs. You had the Songus with the Lock Monsters, and then you know in the last like seven to eight years, I'd say like both those arenas just kind of lost lost their their tenants, except for Riverhawks hockey. And so I think it's in addition to um the pwhl's inaugural season just what that means um to sports in general um it's also great for like the city of lowell um to get another professional hockey team um back and in, in, in that in that arena to share with the riverhawks and that's really cool too for for you know local re- residents um so i definitely didn't get a chance to go to the first one but i'm going to for sure go to uh some games there yeah it was it was a really good atmosphere and it was you know it was, it was a little bit of a bummer because like Player introductions, great reception. Bergeron comes out to do the ceremonial puck drop uh, with his oldest three kids. Um, that was cool. And then Minnesota scores two goals in the first eight minutes, and it kind of quiets everyone down. You get, you know, you finally get Boston's first goal, and, it, you know, people are going crazy, and then Minnesota scores less than a minute later. So it was like there was until near the end, there wasn't really – room for like the crowd to really get into it but then they cut it to three two with a little under three minutes to go and the crowd was was really loud like from that point on to the finish line um 
and it was so it was cool to like see game one them sort of getting embraced as like a true home team that these fans are cheering for and not just like this curiosity of hey let me see what this new league's about like you could tell there's actually like a connection there between fans and team um you know that's you're right like it songs is a great venue i am i am curious to see like if it sticks beyond this season as their home because look obviously you know it says boston on their jersey and they want to be a boston team fans in and around boston especially fans south of boston getting up to low on a weeknight is tough like i you know i've done that coming home from the office at five o'clock heading home like it's it's it's, it's not a, it's not a fun commute so but to, brian to your point like the flip side of that is if you market to Lowell and like the towns around here, there's definitely a fan base. You know, I'm, I'm from Dorica, so I'm with you. Like went to Lockmarts' games growing up, Lowell Spinners, and they always had good crowds. Like those teams were embraced by this area and the Lockmarts weren't a Bruins uh, affiliate. Like that they were always other teams. So it was like, they got embraced, not just because of any sort of connection to the Bruins, because there was none. They got embraced because, they were Lowell. So um, really fascinating to see like how it grows going forward, but the product on the ice is great. Like you, for the first time and in, in really forever, like you do have all the best women's players in the world under one umbrella. I mean, the, the Boston team has like at least a handful of Olympians, I think four Patty Kazmaier award oh my winners. God, they have more for, than a handful of Olympians. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> It's truly just like a loaded roster. Well, the whole league is because it's yeah. only six teams. <laughs> so, like that, even even after watching some really great women's college hockey and some players that you would have thought would have made the team, like they're not even making the cut because that's how stacked these six teams all are. Like, I, I honestly am interested to see how it shakes out. We're only a few games into the season. I don't know which team's better than the other yet because they're all stacked. <laughs> like, they all have great goalies. They all have incredibly solid first lines. They have – so it's it's going to be interesting. Um, and they already sold out of a bunch of their merch. And, like like I said, I think maybe they're, they're further along than they thought they were going to be. You know, the, the first season, it was like we – the women wanted to get underway. They wanted to play. It's a shortened season. It, you know, next year there will be more games than there is this year. Um, and they, they found a good venue uh, for this year. And, and a lot of things are still a work in progress. Like we mentioned, they don't have names on the jerseys, uh, like on the front of the jerseys. There's no, there's no mascot. There's, you know, it's just Boston as of right now. Um, and it's all going to come together as time goes on. But uh, I would say it has maybe it's at like where they thought they'd be year three and year one. And that's, you know, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think something else that's really cool too, is like, because we're living it in the present, I don't even think we grasp just how cool it is that this is the inaugural season, right? Like, you know, 50 years now, hundred years from now, like people will be talking, people will be talking about the PWHL original six, Minnesota, Boston, New York, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, back when they didn't even have names or mascots. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that, 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 that is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, and Bridget, because she was on, she did the first broadcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of weird to think that Billie Jean King knows who I am. Well, and I'm nice. just like, yeah. well, what is going on right now? <laughs> it's pretty cool. 
Um, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, one other one other thought on. Um, oh yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as far as staying in Lowell goes, um, you know, I think it's the I think it's the best rink in in the greater Boston area. Um, outside of obviously the TD Garden, I think. I mean, Aganis is great. I just I think maybe if they could do Aganis, if they could, I don't know if they could do that. Harvard, you have Harvard, you have Matthews Arena. I don't, I don't want Harvard. Think, yeah, I, don't think I think Harvard really would be too might be too small for what they yeah what they want. I mean, Aganis would be the only you know appropriate size attendance uh, rank in Boston, but you have you know you have to share the ice. And I don't know if they can do that. So it might by default. I don't think they have a choice. It might be Lowell, and as you said, it's a great option for people north of Boston at least. Yeah, um, it, it does seem like like Aganis would probably be the target. Like Con- Connie Forms too busy. You have. BC men's and women's hockey there, BC men's and women's basketball. Like, I don't think they'd be able to really plan around that. Aganis, it really is just BU men's hockey. Like, women's team doesn't play there. The basketball teams don't play there. There are a lot of other events. So I have I wondered about Aganis from the start, and I still wonder about that going forward. But mm. you're right. Like, outside of that, if you're – Makes the most if, sense. If they're – I mean, they started, you know, game one, they had 4,000 – just over 4,000 fans there. Obviously, you know, it'll probably fluctuate a little bit for a while, but longer term, like, the goal is to go up from there. Um, and so, yeah, that does limit, like, how many venues can accommodate that crowd. So, yeah, when you, when you look at what the attendance was in Ottawa, it was sold out and it was over 8,000 people. So, yeah. it, you know, maybe if that's and, – and you want to know what I have been thinking of, like, in comparison is – and this is because of Billie Jean King, but she, I'm sorry, Melvin. Um, she started women's tennis. Like they all signed $1 contracts back in the seventies to start up their own, uh, you know, players association and everything. And think about where women's tennis is right now. Women's tennis sells out huge stadiums around the world. Sorry. Melvin has. <laughs> Melvin just went hard on the four check. Just a, a, <laughs> just a quick a quick note aganis is uh 7200 capacity and songus is 64 which is surprising i i thought they were pretty close in this, but I, I didn't realize aganis had that many more seats not that it's that much more it's less than a thousand but um one other one other note i would mention i would mention before we sign off is um for those listening it's going to be um probably happening as you listen to this podcast or it would have already taken place but is uh usa sweden world junior gold um Gold medal game is at 1.30 on the 5th. Um, right now it's noon, so we all have a chance to check that out afterwards. But that's a another thing to watch and keep an eye on and another notch in the belt for Team USA. If they can capture that, it'd be, you know, maybe like their fifth or sixth gold medal in the last dozen years or so. Yeah, and all, all, the, all the BC guys on, on that team, plus Wayne Hudson from BU. Got to mention him. As and well. there it is. B- BU. BU is the only college guaranteed to win a gold medal because they also have Tom Willander on, on Sweden. So there you go. He's been waiting to say that this entire episode Mm -hmm. and waiting to say that. (laughs) All righty. Well, Bridget and Scott, I think we are good for this episode. If you have nothing else, we're good. All good. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk to you next week.